My Lord and my God, I firmly believe that you are here, that you see me, that you hear me. I adore you with profound reverence. I ask your pardon for my sins and grace to make this time of prayer fruitful. My Immaculate Mother, Saint Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me. Now, therefore, we're told in the book of Exodus, if you obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession out of all the peoples. Indeed, the whole earth is mine, but you shall be for me a priestly kingdom and a holy nation. Today is the anniversary of the ordination of the first three priests of the Prelature of Opus Dei. In 1943, St. Maria founded the Priestly Society of the Holy Cross, made up exclusively of clergy intrinsically united to Opus Dei. Until then, only lay men and women were connected with Opus Dei. In short, ordinary people. But to help them better, priests with the spirit of Opus Dei were needed. Priests who knew the spirits and lived the message. Priests who came from the lay members of the work. And so the first members of the priestly society were numerary members. They were now Blessed Alvaro del Portillo, Don Jose Luis Musquiz, Don Jose Maria Hernandez de Carlica. All of these three, their processes of beatification are already ongoing. And Don Alvaro is already a blessed. One thing also to help the diocesan clergy. In 1950, St. Jose Maria asked the Holy See that priests incarnated in their own diocese might form part of the priestly society of the Holy Cross. And permission for this was granted by the Holy See. These priests, while still incarnated in their respective diocese, and their bishops still exercising authority over them, well, he's able to obviously assign them duties. The work, what it gives them, is spiritual encouragement and tries to help them to be good and holy priests. And thus help, that help comes in the same form as the help given to, to lay people. They're given circles, retreats, seminars, spiritual direction. All the formation that the lay members of the work receive in their effort to live the sanctifying value of daily life, the priests also receive. At the moment, in 2021, there's about 4,000 priests all over the world who form part of the priestly society. Half of those would be formed by the numerary members who were numerary, lay numeraries before they became priests. And another 2,000 or so are diocesan priests in many countries, such as the Philippines, United States, Nigeria, Latvia, Kenya, Chile, Lebanon, 
all of these helping to serve the church. What does the priestly society contribute to the lives of those priests? Well, it's helped them first and foremost to have a spiritual life. One of them said once the gift of God that we ordinary priests should have, that we should ordinary priests should have is a hunger for holiness. A hunger for God that always includes concern for others. A hunger that includes their concern for their fellow priests and for all the faithful. So it helps them to be faithful to their priestly vocation. It helps them to be loyal to their bishops, to the Holy Father, in carrying out the tasks entrusted to them. And also in following the sacramental, pastoral, and magisterial guidelines of the church. It also helps them to foster vocations for the diocesan priesthood, to keep a lookout for young people in their parishes who could or might be able to go to the seminary and to find their vocation. It also reminds them that they have to sanctify themselves in and through their professional work which in this case is their ministry as a priest. So they try to take good care of their churches. They try to serve their parishioners. They try to accompany people, bringing them spiritual comfort with the sacraments and where possible, where possible alleviating their material needs as the church has always done. And so you could say that the priestly society encourages them to have a big heart to welcome everyone and to serve each one in their own individual place and with their own individual needs. When St. Josemaria was preparing the first three priests for ordination, he said, I, I took very good care of their formation. I got them the best teachers that I could find. Because of that, I've always taken great pride in their intellectual preparation because of the apostolic activity that they have to perform. And he said, I did all these things for many reasons. The second was to please God. The third was because many eyes were looking to us and I could not let those souls down. But the first reason was that I thought I might die at any moment and I would have to give an account to God for what I have done. And I ardently desire to save my soul. Those words of St. Josemaria are rather moving. I ardently desire to save my soul. First and foremost, that's the most important thing. Well, that in itself is a very priestly thought. And each one of us with our baptism are called to have a priestly soul. We participate in the common or universal priesthood of the faithful, which is different from the ministerial priesthood. As lay people in the middle of the world, we are called to sanctify the temporary realities, to order them according to the will of God, and to be with Christ on the cross, living the priestly virtues as a housewife, as a professional man, as a sports teacher, 
whatever our role may be. Certain people are called, like with a vocation within a vocation, to the ministerial priesthood. And when St. Maria founded this priestly society, well, he brought about this new organization of the church intrinsically united and inseparable from Opus Dei, which was a new spirit in the church because it fostered priests with a very lay mentality. They had been lay people before they were ordained or also if they came to the into the priestly society after they were ordained, well, they were fostered or formed in a, a lay mentality. To have a brave priestly soul, but to think like ordinary people in the middle of the world. And so we like to say that the role of the priest in Opus Day is to disappear. He should be behind everything and in front of nothing. And this is a very different to organizations in the history of the church, where usually or often the priest is the leader, or the priest is the one who governs. As a general rule, in Opus Dei, priests are not leaders. And as a general rule, they have no role in government. They're called to be behind everything and in front of nothing. They're ordained to serve. The priesthood in Opus Dei is not seen as a privileged position because the whole spirit of the Pelagian of Opus Dei is permeated with a lay mentality. And so St. Josemaria wanted that the priests wouldn't have any special treatment, and that's concretized in very concrete ways. The, the lay people are not there to serve the priest. So he indicated that in principle, priests carried their own bags. The lay people are not here to carry the bags of the priest. I was in a country one time when the prelate of Opus Dei came to, to visit and he walked off the plane carrying his own bag, traveling bag. And some people who were there were wondering, well, can't somebody carry his bag for him? Well, actually, no, because the founder wanted that all the priests of Opus Dei, as much as possible, would carry their own bags. As a gesture that the lay people are not here to, to, to serve the priests. And so there's this profound lay mentality with a great priestly soul. He also indicated that in the centers of Opus Dei, the priest always wears a cassock. He's always identifiable as a priest to distinguish him precisely from the lay people. And also when he goes out, well, logically, he, as much as possible, wears clerical attire to precisely give a public witness of his priesthood. And so today is a day of thanksgiving. Thanksgiving for the priestly society of the Holy Cross, for all the priests that we have in Opus Dei, and for all the priests that have to come with the passage of time. And those first three priests have been very faithful. They all have their own stories to tell, all very aware of their own personal miseries and weaknesses, but they've been very faithful and very holy, and now all their process of beatification is ongoing. They've set the bar very high. The Book of Isaiah says, but you shall be called priests of the Lord. You shall be named ministers of our God. 
You shall enjoy the wealth of the nations and in their riches you shall glory. St. Rosemaria wanted a day to be a day of special prayer for priests. Not just for priests of the prelature, although obviously that should be high in our list, but for priests of the universal church, for future priestly vocations. And that's why the prelature of Opus Dei plays a very important role in each diocese, in each country, trying to also foster vocations for the diocesan seminary or looking after the seminarians or the deacons or the priests who were there or taking care of with spiritual formation of all the priests of the of the diocese young and also not so young so that they can live a very vibrant priesthood the spirit of opus day is meant to permeate into every last parish into every last place where there are diocesan priests saint peter says like living stones let yourselves be built into a spiritual house, to a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And in many countries like this one, priests, especially rural priests, well, don't uh, enjoy wonderful material means. And so very often they need a lot of material help just to live and to exist. And for them to get to retreats or to seminars that foster their formation, well, very often it's not within their reach. So they need a lot of help from lay people. And so if you, with your friends or in your parish, <clears throat> can help to, little by little, send your parish priest or your local seminarian to a, a, a retreat every year or to a seminar, well, that greatly enhances its formation in the course of time. The Holy See has come out with a number of documents in the last 20 or 30 years, all about priests. Very concerned for the ongoing formation of priests. And as lay people, you can do an awful lot to foster that. St. Peter says again, but you were a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own people. In order that you may proclaim the mighty acts of him, who called you out of darkness into his marvellous light. In Kenya at the moment, there's about 1,000 diocesan seminarians. That's a huge number. It augurs very well for the future. Many countries in Africa have similar numbers. And then the battle of formation is the next big challenge that's there. And so today we have this day of prayer for priests all the priests of the world that includes religious priests so we help them also in their vocation to be good shepherds we help them to be united to the holy father to have a great priestly meaning in their own lives to serve the lay faithful in the parishes or in the position or place where their bishop may place them which might not be what they dreamt of or what they would like they're called to obey, realize this is where the Holy Spirit wants me to be. And very often in just being in that place where the Holy Spirit places us, well, that's where the graces of God will help us to a maximum degree. The Holy Spirit will be behind the words of the priest as he preaches, as he says mass, as he anoints the sick, 
as he hears confessions. And he's also called to leave a, a great priestly soul, which means to practice the virtues of Christ on the cross, generosity, sacrifice, obedience, service, humility. And so we're told in the preface of the Mass, through his cross and resurrection, he freed us from sin and death. And he has called us to the glory that has made us a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people set apart. Everywhere we proclaim your mighty works, for you have called us out of darkness into your wonderful light. The parish priest, through his preaching and teaching, well, forms thousands of souls in the parish, gives them example, reaches out to them, opens the gates of heaven for them. In the preface of the Holy Eucharist, we're told he is the true and eternal priest who established this unending sacrifice. He offered himself as a victim for our deliverance and taught us to make this offering in his memory. As we eat this body, which he gave for us, we grow in strength. As we drink his blood, which he poured out for us, we are washed clean. Try and be close to your parish priest or the priests of your parish. Be kind to them. Invite them to your home for a meal sometimes. Try and remember their birthday. Remember them at Christmas, maybe on the anniversary of their priestly ordination. I can tell you that parish priests feel enormous support from parishioners who practice these sort of details of charity with them, who encourage them in their priesthood by showing them and telling them that they appreciate their priestly service very much and trying to help them in all the ways that they can to live their priesthood faithfully. And that's why helping your local priest to get to those means of formation can help him to begin and to begin again in his priesthood at the different stages of his life. Through the formation that people receive from the priestly society, there are many cases of elderly retired priests who have sort of retired a little bit from activity, but who rejuvenate again, discover a new life in their later years. They come back to living a very full priesthood, full priesthood with a lot of activity. At the Last Supper, we're told in the second preface of the Holy Eucharist, as he sat at table with his apostles, he offered himself to you as a spotless lamb, the acceptable gift that gives you pray, perfect praise. Christ has given us this memorial of his passion to bring its saving power until the end of time. The priest is ordained to administer the sacraments. He's ordained to say Mass. Second Vatican Council has said that the Mass has to be the center and the source, the center, the summit and the source of his whole spiritual life. Pope John Paul II on the anniversary, the 50th anniversary of his priesthood, he said the words, this is my body, this is my blood, from the center of the life of every priest. 
And so help your priest, pray for him. Help him in that job he has to do, which at times <clears throat> may have its demands, to be available, to be generous, to reach out to the people, to be patient when people don't understand or when things don't go forward as they might do. In the forge we're told, live and work for God with a spirit of love and service, with a priestly soul, even though you may not be a priest, then all your actions will take on a genuine supernatural meaning, which will keep your whole life united to the source of all graces. If you live in a country where there have been many churches or convents or schools, and possibly they're not as active as they might have been, or maybe some of them are even closing down, then you can get your hands on candlesticks or a chalice or a monstrance or a tabernacle, well, be very aware that there are hundreds and hundreds of small chapels in rural Africa that are very much in need of those places, of, of those items. And if you have any trouble transporting them here, well, let me know. They'll be received with open arms. Everything is useful. Linens, vestments. And that way you help rural priests here to foster vocations that may eventually be the great missionaries of the future. As priests, we're called to spend ourselves for souls, to have a desire to give doctrine and to direct souls, a desire to co-redeem, to be with Christ on the cross. Pray for your parish priest that he may spend time in the confessional. An aspect of priestly life that St. Rosa Maria wanted to encourage very much. Encourage priests to spend hours there. And even if there's nobody coming, say your breviary, say your rosary, do your spiritual reading. And after some time, some little old lady will come. But then she'll bring her grandchildren and then somebody else will come. And little by little, we create a whole revolution of the sacrament of, of confession. So encourage your priest to fulfill that priestly function. Today is a good day to pray and to remember all the priests who have affected your life. The priest who baptized you. The priest who heard your first confession. And maybe so many other confessions after that. He was there for you in his priesthood. Somehow God chose him from all eternity to be the specific priest who was there to minister for you. All those priests who said the Sunday Masses that you attended as a child or that now you attend as an adult. Possibly the priest who said something someday or did something or gave some little bit of priestly witness that, that touched your soul in some way. I was listening to a story on the internet recently of a man in his mid-twenties who had a major cross in his life. But he said one time he met a priest and this priest began to answer all his questions. He was a young 27-year-old priest on fire with love for his priesthood. And he said, that man transmitted the fire of the Holy Spirit to me. And so there are certain priests that God has chosen in a certain way at certain moments to say things to us, or to do something. 
I heard of a priest many years ago in Ireland who always dressed in clerical attire. And he was asked one time in a TV program, why was that? And he said, well, one day when I was a kid, I was playing soccer in the street with all my buddies. And this little old nun came down the, the street and she went into the house of some old lady. And somehow that registered in the back of my conscience, this little nun coming in to see this elderly lady. He said, I wasn't just seeing a little nun coming in to see an elderly lady. I was seeing the church in action. That's very powerful. We priests are called to give a public ministry. And the documents of the Holy See say this very clearly, to be on call 24-7. So that someone who sees that we're a priest can stop us in the street and ask for our service. And as a priest, well, I personally have found that very moving. Sometimes in the departure lounge of an airport or walking along the street, somebody stops you and says, Father, will you hear my confession? It's like a, a wake-up call, an alarm clock call to remind you that you're ordained to serve, to be available, to administer the sacraments to any soul that may come near. So that all those souls can see the church in action. In the furrow, St. Josemaria says, it is difficult to make one's mark through quiet work and the proper fulfillment of our duties as citizens. So that later one can demand one's rights and place them in the service of the church and of society. It's difficult, but it's very effective. Every priest is called to make his mark through quiet work and the proper fulfillment of his duty in obedience to the bishop, in humble service, listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit, serving the church as she wants to be served. And that way, as Christ's instruments in every parish, in every last outpost, in whatever place the bishop may have placed us, well, that's where God wants us to be. And his grace will swing in behind us in that particular place or moment and enable us to work miracles, revolutionize society, to re-evangelize it. Pray for your priests so that they may be well prepared. Like St. Jose Maria wanted all of his priests to be well prepared. In his lifetime, he prepared about 1,000 souls for the priesthood. Blessed Alvaro brought about 700 to the priesthood. He wanted them to know the things of the church, to know the documents of the church, to be well-versed, to be learned. If we love the church and want to serve her well, well, we'll see, and the priest will see as part of his professional responsibility, to be very competent in that area. Blessed Alvaro said, love the church as a mother. Pray for her. Always speak well of her. Distinguish between the church, holy and immaculate, and the per personal actions of individual people. If ever we see something or hear something that is not as right as it should be, well, in charity, we should keep silent. And perhaps pray a little more. That there have been 
scandals or misdemeanors or all sorts of things in the history of the church. Well, there's a logical testimony of the fact that the church is made up of ordinary people with a wounded human nature. We're all capable of the most terrible things. But instead of criticizing or complaining, our reaction should be to have deeper desires to be better. And with the feast day of St. Jose Maria tomorrow, that's one request we could make of him with his great priestly soul. May you give me, St. Jose Maria, the grace to have deeper desires of personal holiness. So that wherever I am, wherever God has placed me, I might lead in holiness. Lead in holiness in my family. Lead in holiness in carrying the cross, in my profession, in my work, with this sickness, with this financial situation. And to find my peace and my serenity and my joy in the cross of Christ. Because that's what it means to have a priestly soul. Christ was happy to be on the cross. That's where he performed the redemption of mankind. And Chesterton says, in all the accounts of Golgotha, one aspect is missing. The joy of Christ on the cross. The joy of seeing that it is accomplished. When we pray for priests today, we can pray for their fidelity. Fidelity to the pathway. The best service we can give to God in sickness and in health and in old age is in living out our fidelity to our vocation. To have a great desire to spread the teaching of the church, that light of Christ. He is the true light that comes into the world. And every soul is hungry for that light, for that truth, for that beauty that can only be found in Christ. And each priest is a bearer of that light. We can pray for souls and for priests that might, they might have the zeal for souls. A zeal for souls that stimulates them to generosity in their daily apostolate. To bring communion to the sick. To be available to anoint the sick. To be generous in the hours that they dedicate to the confessional box. In particular, to hearing the confessions of small children. Developing those souls, forming that conscience, forming the future fathers and mothers of society, and maybe the future religious vocations. Often, after the Mass, the greatest work that a priest does is in the confessional box. And a priest has to try and see what tasks he can delegate to lay people. 21st century is the era of the laity. It's an era when the priest is called to focus much more on the supernatural things. We're told in scripture he's called to be a dispenser of the mysteries of God and of the grace of God. And so his main focus has to be there. All the material things can be looked after by lay people. 
And so with St. Paul, we could ask that priests might fill their life with prayer. The priest might have a love to spend time in prayer every day, to be alone with his best friend in the tabernacle. No longer do I call you servants, but I have called you friends. And that friendship and closeness to Jesus, hopefully, will lead to a deeper apostolic concern. It will lead to initiatives, new ideas, new horizons, new possibilities. And the prayerful priest will seize the potential in the parish. And like the Curie of ours, the patron saint of all parish priests, he gives himself and spends himself to make all that potential become a reality. We're told in the furrow, your task as a Christian citizen is to help see Christ's love and freedom <clears throat> preside over all aspects of modern life, culture and the economy, work and rest, family life and social relations. The priest is called to try and help those things to happen <clears throat> in the parish through his preaching, through the administration of the sacraments, so that he makes Christ available in the lives of all the people that live in the parish. And in particular, that he thinks and dreams of what the parish has to be 30, 40, 50 years from now. We are building up the future church by building up the domestic church, by empowering fathers and mothers of families to be great people, to live as great citizens, to live virtuous lives, to have easy access to the grace of God so that they can lift up the whole spiritual temperature of the home and the whole virtuous tone of their lives. We're told in the forge, the Lord wants his children those of us who have received the gift of faith to proclaim the original optimistic view of creation, the love for the world, which is at the heart of the Christian message. There should always be enthusiasm in your professional work and in your effort to build up the earthly city. Well, that means that each one of us embraces the cross generously we see that whatever it is that our Lord has placed us in this particular moment, this is where he wants me to be. This is the will of God for me. There may be chalices, and like our Lord, we might cry out to God the Father, if it is your will, take this chalice from me. But then hopefully we can also say, let not my will, Rather, yours be done. The life of the priest may be not sparing in contradictions. And so we have to pray that he'd be a very spiritual person and use those contradictions to grow in holiness. St. Paul says to the Romans, I urge you then, brothers, remembering the mercies of God, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, 
dedicated and acceptable to God. That is the kind of worship for you as sensible people. And so we pray for those souls that God has placed around us, special instruments in our life to lead us closer to Christ. We can pray for the effectiveness of all the priests we know and those we don't know. Maybe the priests laboring far away, perhaps priests in communist countries who are living out their priesthood in an atmosphere of persecution and maybe of silence. There are many wonderful stories that are being told today of priests in those countries or in Nazi Germany or in communist China or Russia in very difficult times and moments who are enormously heroic. And they shed a light in our life from the way that they lived out their priesthood. We learn lessons for our priestly lives of how we can put into practice the virtues of humility, of sacrifice, of service, of obedience, of generosity. The exercise of priesthood means first and foremost to serve in all the ways that God wants. And if we fall in love with the sacred humanity of Christ and imitate him in the way that he lived his priesthood, well, then we, never, we will never be short of, of inspiration. So that sometime when there's extra work, unexpected things come along. Or we're tired and at the end of the day and God asks a bit more from us. Some phone call changes our plans. Or we're about to watch the uh, favorite TV program or the final of the Champions League and somehow some priestly call comes that we know we have to respond to. We could ask that we might have the generosity of the sacrifice to live our priestly vocation in that moment. And Our Lady, who stood beside the cross, she'll help us to take very good care of her priests, her other Christs. She teaches us with her priestly soul, co-redeeming, to stand beside the cross. Well, Mary, we ask you for that today, for all the priests of Oprah's day, for all the priests of the priestly society, for all the diocesan priests and also the religious priests in the world, all of them, that all of them may be priests and live their priesthood according to the heart of Christ and the heart of Mary. I thank you, my God, for the good resolutions, affections and inspirations that you have communicated to me during this meditation. I ask your help to put them into practice. My Immaculate Mother, Saint Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me. <laughs>